Hello, and welcome to Breadcrumbs, a podcast brought to you by Trace Labs. It's our mission here to facilitate OSINT for everyone. We'll be hearing from industry experts, community leaders, and everyday people about the tools, topics, and techniques that will make your OSINT collection better. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breadcrumbs. Today, we're going to be talking about OPSEC. OPSEC is like insurance, retirement. By the time you think about it, it's probably too late. Today, I'm joined by Sin Windy. Sin, how's it going? I'm doing good, Tom. How are you? Doing pretty good, pretty good. So we can talk about insurance or retirement if you'd like, but... I think I think originally we'd agreed on OPSEC. How's that sound? That's that's probably fair. I'm probably not qualified for the other two. <laughs> for the record, I am not uh, legally authorized to dispense retirement or insurance of advice in any of the 50 states here in the U.S. So probably need to stay on the right side of the law on that one. I'm a huge fan of your OPSEC that I see you display day in day out online. And I really wanted to get you on and just talk through it. I think it's a topic that can seem daunting to people that are just getting into OSINT, just getting into intelligence or any kind of investigation. And it can go maybe wrong in a number of different ways. And the more people know about it up front, hopefully the better decisions they can make than I did, for example. I, th- I think there's kind of a misconception that with OPSEC, you know, it's it's sort of an all or nothing. Um, I think one thing that's very important for especially beginners to understand is you are going to make OPSEC mistakes. Um, it's inevitable. Um, you know, anyone who says they've never made an OPSEC mistake has either not been doing this long enough or they're lying or they're just, you know, blissfully unaware. It's going to be one of those three things. Um, I've never met anybody who's not made at least one critical OPSEC mistake, you know, myself included. Um, so I think I think that's kind of, a, you know, one thing to kind of get over that kind of hurdle is, you know, the mistakes are going to happen. It's how do you, you know, prepare for the mistake? How do you minimize the blast radius so that, you know, when you do accidentally click like on, you know, that guy's photo that you're, you're currently looking at, that it doesn't completely unravel everything because, you know, you use a sock puppet account, you didn't use, you know, a personal account with your real name, those kind of things. Absolutely. I think that's critical is understanding that you're going to make mistakes and then building your OPSEC around that. Um, it, like you said, everyone makes those mistakes. And if you understand that going in, it's going to be easier to recover from those mistakes. Or like you said, the impact isn't going to be as dire. I see a lot of people coming into the Trace Labs community, they're brand new to OSINT, and they know that they're supposed to have OPSEC, but I feel like they, they're going way overboard for what we're doing at Trace Labs. Um, could you maybe talk about maybe your personal like OPSEC spectrum and how you, how you, how you decide how much OPSEC to apply to what situations and why? Absolutely. It's, you know, it's funny you say spectrum because that's, I think, exactly how we should look at it. You know, you shouldn't apply the same amount of OPSEC for, say, casually looking at a profile that, you know, sort of like, you know, Facebook stalking somebody, you're trying to figure out a little bit more information on them versus something where, you know, the stakes are a little bit higher. 
um, you know, maybe you're a journalist in a not so friendly country and, you know, you're investigating the government, you'd obviously want to have a little bit more, uh, you know, assurance in place that if you do make a mistake, it's not going to be so bad. Um, I personally feel like whenever I'm starting an investigation, I will look at what could be potentially my adversary, um, you know, is, or my target, if not necessarily an adversary all the time. Who am I, who am I looking into? What are their capabilities? So, for example, if I'm looking into somebody who I don't believe is technologically savvy, maybe there's a, you know, a low-level scammer, um, you know, I'm probably going to be okay with just using a soft puppet account and maybe a VPN if I'm worried about maybe clicking on a link to something where they might have a, you know, an IP grabber, for example. If I'm investigating somebody who I think is a lot more technologically savvy, um, if I'm looking at something that maybe is nation-state backed or, you know, something sophisticated like an organized crime ring, and I think that they're going to have, you know, maybe I'm looking at infrastructure they own. So maybe websites, domains, um, IP addresses, and or, you know, maybe I'm reversing code and there might be something in there that I might accidentally, you know, reach out and touch. They might give away who I am. I'm going to want to have something a little bit more robust in place, you know, a little bit more than just a sock puppet. You're going to have, you know, VPNs. You're going to want to have a virtual machine, um, something, something along those lines. I think you hit on something really important, and that's the that's the preparation piece. I think a lot of people that are new to the field, they think of their investigation starting with that first mouse click, or you know, opening up a VM. Um, those aren't bad starting points, but I think the best starting point is before you even touch a keyboard, give some thought to what you're doing. You know, who or what are you investigating? and then start sketching out the number of different ways things could go wrong. Yes. And, it, you know, I think a lot, another thing to kind of keep in mind is not only what can go wrong, but like, what are you, you know, what, what is your end goal? Um, and what are you trying to protect? So if your OPSEC is focused solely on, you know, I don't want my target or my adversary to know who I am specifically, then you're going to want to build your OPSEC around things that obfuscate your identity. You know, things that hide your user agent, your IP address, geolocation. Um, you're going to make sure you don't have any identifiable information in your your, your profile photo. Hopefully, you will be using a sock puppet that doesn't use, you know, don't, don't rinse and, you know, repeat uh, sock puppets. So don't, you know, break some of it down for one and then rebuild it into another. Because sometimes there's going to be information that's kind of bleeding over. Um, and so if you, you know, archive.org or some kind of like cached pages might have the old information. And so that may give them something to kind of a breadcrumb to pull on. Um, so you want to make sure, you know, don't reuse your sock puppets and stuff like that. I think the entire OPSEC conversation comes back around to acknowledging that the person trying to break your OPSEC probably has at least as much skill as you do. It's probably better to assume they're more skilled. So you, you made the point of, don't reuse sock puppet accounts. Well, from your point of view, what's the big deal? You know, you being the new person, if you're Sin Windy, you know, OSINT extraordinaire, you might notice, hey, these three sock puppets are just variations of the same handle. They use the same emojis in the handle name, and they tend to follow the same people on social media. Now that, you know, that's not proof positive, 
But now you might start doing other things to connect those three. If you're the infrastructure owner, you notice that, hey, all three of those accounts are all logging in from the same IP address. It might be a VPN, but that doesn't matter to you. You're just trying to prove that they're probably the same person and then going from there. That's something a brand new person might not consider. Right. I think determining who you're trying to hide from also plays a big part. You know, if you're if you're trying to hide from just another user on Twitter, you're not going to need as much, you know, fancy tools, so to speak, uh, to you know, obfuscate who you are. You can probably get away with not having anything more than just a sock puppet account, really, as long as you're not clicking on anything, you know, sketchy. Um, that being said, if you're trying to hide from Twitter, you're going to have to have something a lot, a lot more, you know, robust in place. You're going to have to, you know, look at things like obfuscating your IP address, um, you know, user agents, and, you know, making sure that you're not logging into other accounts on the same machine. So it really depends on who you're trying to hide from, and, you know, and taking it one step further, if you're hiding from a nation state, I mean, at that point, you know, good luck, <laughs> right? Because, you know, they have so many tools at their disposal that, you know, all it takes is that one mistake. And, you know, in an investigation, a lot of the people who I've called over the years were caught because they've made only one mistake. And, you know, these investigations might go on for years at a time in which, you know, their obstacle is impeccable. They make no mistakes that we can really grab a hold of and pivot off of. And then, you know, after a certain amount of time, this just takes that one moment where the VPN fails and, you know, they don't have a fail safe in place or, you know, they logged into another account and liked, you know, one of their tweets and we were able to go back and find similar photos that matched, you know, it just takes that one time. Yeah. I think Silk Road is a perfect example uh, of that. Some, someone made one mistake at the very beginning of their dark web marketplace journey. And it took, it took a few years to unravel, but it did ultimately come back to land them in jail. (laughs) Yes. Um, and that, I mean, and that was great OSINT on, on their part of the investigator as, as well, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that goes back to, you know, that's something that wasn't even probably ever considered until it came out in court. Like, oh man, that was dumb. <laughs> but like, how could he have, how could he have known that at the time? Right. It's, it's always in hindsight. And that seems to, you know, the OPSEC on the dark web that now you've mentioned it, we've kind of seen it evolve where, you know, in the past, it was a little bit more fast and loose. Um, You would see sometimes they would kind of go off the dark web and do things and then come back. Um, Nowadays, though, I don't know if if you're, you know, kind of hanging around the dark net markets, but you'll see a lot. You know, I I feel like encryption is now the standard. It's required in most of these places. Some of them have it on the platform themselves just so that, you know, it's kind of protect their users, right? Like if you're relying on your users to use PGP and they're not doing it. One of them gets lazy and you have stuff going back and forth in the clear, then that might implicate, you know, implicate other users. And, you know, it's, you, you don't, you don't want that on your platform if that's what you're trying to do. So a lot of them will put, uh, you know, encryption in place for the messages, you know, right off the bat, they'll, they'll ask you to use Monero now instead of something that's traceable like Bitcoin or Ethereum. So they're definitely, you know, we see a lot of these OPSEC mistakes on the dark web that, you know, we almost kind of have to laugh at, um, you know, like, like Albright, like you mentioned, uh, there was another guy who tried to copyright or trademark his, uh, his dark web market name. And so that's how he got, he got busted. But a lot of folks are, you know, seeing this and they're learning and it's getting a little bit more difficult now to kind of, you know, get these dark web folks on offset mistakes. 
do you want to talk about like what you've seen just the evolution of opsec online yeah i mean so most of what you know in terms of dark in terms of opsec dark web is probably most of what i've seen kind of like changing and shifting i know you know on the clear web we do see a lot of i'm not even sure how to refer to it you know people who are trying to call other people out on their opsec um you know someone will post a photo of you know them at the airport or them on a trip and then next thing you know there's people in the replies who are trying to geolocate you know where this poor person is that they posted this photo and you know and then at the same time you have people who are saying oh you know why did you post this don't you know that we can see you know where you had lunch that day as if you know for whatever reason you know that's bad opsec on their part and so i i don't know if that's because more people are becoming aware of what we can do you know, with just small bits of information. And so like, they feel like they need to call it out every time. Um, but I think a lot of them fail to understand that, you know, we don't all have the same threat models. What is considered risky for you might not be risky for me. And then, you know, what is something that I consider to be very risky might not be risky to the average Twitter user, for example. And so I think a lot of people fail to see that. And so you'll see a lot of people, you know, just calling out what they consider to be poor OPSEC online, which may or may not be the case. Yeah, that, that's a really good point, that OPSEC is personal. There is no one-size-fits-all. There is no standard. It's always going to be defined by, well, at least in the context of what we're talking about today. Um, it's, it's, all gonna be, it's all personal. It's all your personal threat model. It's all going to be situational. It's all dependent on what you're doing and who or what you're looking at. And I think starting from there especially for new people is going to hopefully make you make better decisions. People trying to stand up sock puppet accounts and they just don't want to give Google their real phone number. I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> Google, <laughs> Google already has your phone number. Um, you're probably the fact that you're here talking about it tells me you're probably not going to successfully hide from Google or Apple or the NSA. Um, and, and you don't have to do that at Trace Labs. You're just trying to hide from another Facebook user. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the people who do try to hide from Google and Facebook and or the NSA, you know, they're going to drive themselves crazy very quickly or they're going to, you know, get this false sense of security that they're able to do it. Um, you know, the, the, really the your risk is going to depend on what what happens if you get caught, right? So what is what is the damage of the facebook user knowing who you are well if you're you know thousands of miles away and there's lots of people that have the same name and you know you don't have a you have a generic profile photo the chances of anything happening that risk is really really low um you know what if you know you're a cyber criminal selling drugs on the dark net and your opsec goes through and somebody else is able to figure out who you are um, well, that risk is a lot higher because you're committing a crime, right? And so if you do have, you know, your identity revealed, then there's a lot more at stake for you. And so you should be, you know, practicing a little bit better OPSEC than somebody who's just trying to hide from another Facebook user. Absolutely. So for people that are brand new to the field or even people that, you know, think they're good at OPSEC but really aren't, um, what are some good places to start? I know I've spent the last like 15 minutes railing against one size fits all approaches, but there probably are some standard things we could all be doing 
to improve our OPSEC, even if we're not conducting an, an investigation? What are some good places to start, especially for a beginner? I think of a virtual machine is, is a really good start, just, just for the sole fact of you don't want to have things bleeding over. Um, you want to be able to feel comfortable checking and kind of turning over all of those rocks without running the risk of compromising your, your everyday machine. And so I feel like that's a really, you know, it doesn't really obfuscate who you are, but it does sort of protect yourself against, you know, say malware, viruses or anything from clicking on sort of, you know, sketchy links during an investigation. And then coupling that, depending on obviously, you know, your target, your, you know, your possible adversaries, I think a VPN is another good option. Just, you know, maybe to hide where you're coming from. And so if you're looking at somebody who has their own infrastructure, especially that's going to be the case. If you're just using, you know, the, the typical social media sites, Twitter, Facebook, stuff like that, you don't really need to hide your IP address from them because that's not going to really, you know, that's not really having your real IP address, um, you know, revealed to them isn't really a risk to you at that point. Now, if you're investigating somebody who has their own infrastructure and they see a very particular IP address coming out from, you know, your home and, you know, for example, say you're an investigator and you're coming out from, you know, Northern Virginia, for example, where everything in the government tends to be located and you're, you're looking at a target and they keep seeing this Northern Virginia IP address pop up. They're going to be, you know, if they are under the assumption they're being investigated, then they may be more keen to that IP address and be able to understand, you know, okay, this is probably the government, you know, I'm probably under some kind of investigation and they're going to change the way that they're operating. Um, so if you, you know, VPN, maybe you need it, maybe you don't, it really is going to depend on the, who you're trying to hide the IP address from. Um, other than that, you know, SOC put accounts, that's the other one that I think is kind of uh, a required standard. And that's just, you know, you can, you could probably get away with using your real account to, you know, maybe look at a Twitter account or look at a Facebook account, but you know, in, on some of these platforms like LinkedIn, the other users might see who looks at their profile depending on your settings. And so things like that, you know, it's a little bit riskier to use your real account versus just having a sock puppet set up. You know, I know so there's, there's some platforms where you do need a new phone number or maybe they restrict how many accounts you can make, um, you know, based on maybe IP address or something like that. And so in those cases, maybe you can get away with using, reusing a sock puppet account if you're only looking at those kind of targets, you know, that are other Facebook users, other Twitter users. But if you're doing something like LinkedIn, where maybe, you know, you have, you know, where you work, your real name and all those things kind of associated with it, um, I really would not recommend using your real account for something like that. Once you start using sock puppets, VPNs, VMs, you start getting into this, this compartmentalization, this segmentation, this isolation mind frame. And that's going to allow you to kind of learn how to fish or, you know, start, start to fish for yourself. Um, you're going to start coming up with creative ways that your opset could fail. And then you're going to firewall against that before it does. I think that it's going to get you thinking the right way. Yeah, for sure. I think another way to kind of see where the possible shortcomings are is, you know, look at some old cases whether they're your own cases or cases that have been done, you know, by different agencies and they release the documents, but look and see what OPSEC mistakes those people made. So for example, there was a, 
a dark web seller who used PGP and encrypted all their messages, which was great, but he used his real email address when he created the PGP key. And so they were able to tie that back to the individual. And so, I mean, still to this day, you're going to see people who are going to use legitimate clearnet email addresses in their PGP keys. But a lot of folks now have seen that and saw that that individual got arrested. And so now they don't do this anymore. You know, they'll put, you know, gibberish or, you know, sometimes they'll leave a nice little message for the investigator, <laughs> uh, you know, in that when you decrypt it. But so, you know, look, look and see what other folks are doing. Look, see how they messed up and then try not to make the same mistake. So we touched on beginner OPSEC, just some some very basic things people can do. Uh, we touched on dark web a little bit. Um, what are some things like you consider when you're embarking on an investigation? Like, is there a checklist you run through that kind of determines the threat level of what you're doing? Is, is there like a methodology to that that you can share? I wouldn't call it necessarily like a, an actual methodology, but you know, like I said, I do like to look at what could be my potential adversary or who my target is and kind of balance my OPSEC versus what I perceive their capabilities to be. And a lot of the times I'll go maybe one step higher. So if I think they're capable of X, I'm gonna you know, have my OPSEC at least at the X level, but then a little bit above X, if that makes sense. And so if I believe that my target has the ability to, you know, somehow get access to one of the platforms that we're on. I'm going to want to plan as if I was trying to hide from that platform rather than just trying to hide from that individual. And so rather than just having a stock puppet account, I would also look into things like IP obfuscation. You know, if I believe that they're going to, you know, if it's, if I'm a criminal and it's a law enforcement agency, you know, you're going to have to assume that they're going to be able to subpoena a lot of these platforms. And so if you were trying to hide from something, you know, maybe you're a criminal or maybe you're a journalist in an unfriendly country, you know, you're not just want to have a sock puppet account, but you also want to obfuscate your IP address. If they're going to own the platform that you're participating on, for example, or you believe that they have access to that platform, then you might want to look at other ways. You know, if you have other accounts, then you may want to have a whole new dedicated machine or a dedicated virtual machine because you don't want them to be able to tie, say, a user agent or some kind of other, you know, digital fingerprint between those two different accounts. And so, you know, just take it to, you know, you want to be at least an equal footing as your adversary or your target, but then if you can go just one step above that. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah. And I think that, that, that brings up a really good thought that as you're considering OPSEC, ideally at the beginning of an investigation, the OPSEC process or the OPSEC planning process brings with it a consideration of consequences. And that should hopefully let you know what you're getting yourself into. And that would be a good point to consider, hey, do I really need to be doing this? Now, if you're working in the intelligence community, that's just your job, deal with it. But if you're most of us just out there on the internet trying to make the world a better place, this can be a really good, I guess, canary to say, oh, whoa, you know, I might get snatched up by a nation state. Do I really want to be doing this? Is this really how, you know, is this really an investigation or an activity that I'm comfortable with? And by having that thought experiment at the beginning, 
can save you from being in a potentially bad spot down the road. Absolutely. And, you know, and to be, to be fair, I think the, the vast majority of us, thankfully, will never have to, to worry about being the subject of a nation state. <laughs> I, I, I keep coming back to the OPSEC spectrum because I, I think that's so important for, I think, anybody, but especially newcomers to understand because you can burn yourself out really quick by overdoing it. Now, some people can make the argument that there's there's no such thing as too much OPSEC or there's no there's no there's no such thing as overdoing it. Um and there's there's probably a right side to that argument, but I think that new people just need to understand what they're trying to do and then protect themselves accordingly. Absolutely. And you know, I think with a lot of new people especially, they're going to be you know, they're their targets they're looking at are typically, you know, I don't think anyone's going to go in going after a nation state backed APT in their first investigation. And so typically you're going to, it's, it's one of those things you're going to kind of build yourself up to, you know, you might start off with just a general, you know, maybe, maybe a trace labs event or, you know, some other kind of like missing persons event. Um, or, you know, maybe you got a friend who got scammed, you know, or they scammed grandma and you're just kind of like, you know, look and see if you can figure out who this person was behind this. So maybe you can report it to law enforcement. And I feel like that's how a lot of people kind of dip their toes in. And so thankfully in those cases, the, the OPSEC that they're going to need is not typically going to be that much. You know, they're going to be okay with probably a sock puppet account, maybe maybe a VPN at most. Um, but for the most part, I don't think they're going to need too much. And I feel like as they sort of, you know, get comfortable with those sort of cases, then they're going to start looking into maybe more advanced targets or adversaries, in which case, hopefully by then, they would kind of have a, more, a better understanding of what they need to protect against, say, that next level. If people want to get better at OPSEC, I guess one way to do it is fail and learn. <laughs> but that's not the not the best. It, well, it's the best teacher, but maybe not the most conducive to, you know, a long and happy life. Um what are some ways or some places or some things people can do to improve their OPSEC or to learn more about better OPSEC? You know, I, I do, I do think you hit the nail on the head there, you know, making the mistake, um, you know, you're only going to make that mistake once, right? It's better to make that mistake, you know, in testing instead of when you're actually in the middle of an investigation. But I think probably some of the best ways to improve or to, you know, is to go and see what information you're actually leaking. So there's a number of sites where you can go, you can see like, you know, what's my user agent? And okay, so this is my user agent, so what? Well, what does this user agent say about me? It might have my operating system, maybe some other software versionings listed and those kind of things. Um, you know, what, what does my IP address say about me? Well, maybe it's just, you know, a general location, but I've, I've seen some IP addresses that because they're, I guess, closer, you know, or just luck of the draw where the, the, the geolocation is being a little bit closer to the target than probably they would have liked for it to be. Um, you know, you have like, for example, universities and schools that have their own network space. And so, you know, you, you get one of those IP addresses that bring you directly back to the university. And so that kind of narrows it down. So you want to know sort of what information that you're giving away. And, you know, if my adversary knows that I have Comcast or, you know, whatever the, the broadband happens to be, that's not really a big deal, but it's something that you want to be aware that you're leaking just in case. Um, so yeah, IP addresses, user agents, you know, if you can set up maybe your own 
infrastructure or a copy of the infrastructure you're trying to get to and sort of see how your activity looks. Obviously, this is not something that all of us are going to have access to. Um, but, you know, if you can see kind of how you would look compared to your adversary, you know, if you're meeting somebody or talking to them on Telegram, for example, set up a couple Telegram accounts, message back and forth between these Telegram accounts and see what information you can get out of them. Um, you know, I do a lot of like, I do a lot of charts and graphs on different social media sites. And so one of the way, one of the reasons I do that is so I can see what information that not only can I get from my target, but what information am, am I possibly leaking if I have an account on that platform? And so what I'll do is I'll go to as new platforms are, are created or, you know, maybe they've been around for a while and it's the first time I'm investigating them. I'll go on and I'll make a, I'll make an account and I'll intentionally put information in there that I should be able to find either by viewing the source, um, you know, inspecting elements, going through and looking at anything like that, or just simply a control F, maybe it's, you know, in the plain text on the web pages it loads. And so I'll put, for example, if you ask me for the name, I'll put a very, like, you know, I want to say uncommon name in there, in there to where when I do a control F, that should be the only time that name pops up is if, if it's the one I put in there. You know, if I put a hometown or a city, same thing, I'll put something that's so obscure that when, if, I'm, if I'm looking in the source code, I can find it very easily. And so I know very quickly whether or not that's being leaked based on settings. And so that's another thing is, you know, you'll have to try this with each one of the settings. So LinkedIn, you might look one way under one setting. I think it shows, you know, if you look at somebody's profile, it might show that just an anonymous user looked at their profile. But then you also want to go to the other settings and see, you know, there's one that it'll show like the first part of the name or it will only show, say, you know, someone who works at this, I think it's field or in this, you know, organization. And then they have the setting where it's wide open, where it's, you know, it's this particular user actually viewed your profile. And so, you know, set up a couple of accounts, view from both sides and see, you know, can, what can they see if I'm on this platform? Um, you know, is there any information that I'm leaking? Those kind of things. Yeah, and I think that all comes back to one, the best way to get better at OSINT, but also a good way to get better at OPSEC. OSINT yourself. You know, as you as you learn more and more techniques, as you understand how the digital world works, you know, your craft is going to get better. Turn that back on yourself. Now it's that's gonna be uncomfortable because you're gonna be like, oh, I can't believe this was out there the whole time. Well, take that as a learning experience and fix it going forward. But I, I always come back to OSINT yourself. Yeah, it works kind of like a cycle too. So as you are OSINTing yourself and you're finding these OPSEC mistakes, you know, go through and clean them up. And so when you do go in, into an investigation and say you do make this critical mistake and it, you know, your target, your adversary determines, okay, I know who this person is now. Well, when they start looking for you because you've OSINTed yourself and you've gone through and you've scrubbed all this data, they're going to have a much harder time of actually gathering any, any worthwhile intelligence about you because hopefully you were able to remove all of it. And so it kind of, it kind of works as a nice little cycle. You know, as you, as you OSINT yourself, you find your OPSEC mistakes, you fix them, and then you learn not to make the same mistake again. Yeah, that was something else that I wanted to pick your brain about was are there any OPSEC mistakes you can walk back or like, what's the, what's the, what's the 
response protocol when you realize you've just made this big oopsie um <laughs> is, is there some general guidance there or just like hey you're burned you know just you're done sorry <laughs> sorry sin you're off the case you're burned <laughs> um and again it's probably a spectrum but is there are there any of those scenarios you can kind of talk through yeah i definitely think it's going to be a spectrum so for example if if someone with zero twitter followers accidentally posts something for two seconds and then takes it back because there's nobody assumingly there's nobody actively watching that account monitoring it or collecting information on it they're probably fine unless it's you know unless it's something obviously where you know it's going to be a high risk to continue um, but chances are they're going to be okay if it's somebody who has hundreds of thousands or millions of followers and they post something that's you know just a really really critical opsec mistake chances are somebody is going to grab that and they're going to archive it um so it also you know the more the more eyes that are on it i think the the worse it is especially with so many archiving tools they, they have nowadays um just to kind of give you an idea so before before i went to the before i went to the public sector or sorry before i went to the private sector and i was doing investigations a lot of which were soft target threats and so someone would get online, they'd say, you know, whatever platform they happen to be on, I'm going to go shoot up this mall, shoot up this school, I'm going to blow up, you know, this, this church, what have you. And so when, when they did something like that, even folks who did not have many followers, because what they said was so extreme and it got people's attention, it very quickly got spread out, even if the original tweet or image was deleted. We also noticed a lot of the times that in these cases, they would almost always be archived somewheres. So the post itself would not be up very long, but then someone would see this and, you know, they would immediately, you know, archive.org or archive.is. And then, you know, it would start getting shared widely while they're trying to get attention of the authorities. And so in that kind of example, you know, there's no walking that back. You've, you've, you've said something that is you know, it's, it's hit a lot of people's radar, so to speak, um, because there's obviously other people looking out for this kind of thing. Um, you know, so you've, you've, you've kind of, you hit that radar, enough people have seen it, and then now they're sharing it. And they're, you know, once that happens, once other people have seen it, the internet is forever, you know, they start archiving it, and it's, it's not going to go away. And eventually, we're going to be sending somebody to knock on your door. So <laughs> any just hilarious opsec fails that you know come to mind like i loved your talk at conant last year um just some great just opsec oops um from that talk um but just any of your favorites that come to mind either from your own personal investigations or just out there in the world i mean there, there's there's probably so many like i know I, i'm i'm personally a fan of a lot of the dark web ones just because you know you expect these people because of their risks to, to take a little bit more, you know, care in their OPSEC. But so everything from, you know, the guy who tried to, like I said, trademark or copyright his, his dark web business. That was, that's one of my personal favorites. Um, you know, there's, let's see. I had, you know, I had another guy who I was able to identify because he, you know, his OPSEC was pretty good, but he decided to make a, like an Instagram fan page for his cat. Um, and as obscure as that sounds, I was able to find photos of that cat on 
my target's account as well and was able to figure out that it was actually the same, you know, the, the same cat, but there was, there was nothing on the target account that I could, could really latch onto, but on the, the cat, you know, fan page, so to speak, there were other photos in there that we were able to identify, you know, the user and where they were. And so that, that was one of my, you know, kind of humorous, the fact that, you know, it was this cat that kind of, kind of did it, did him in. My favorite OPSEC fail is actually one of my own. <laughs> I don't, I don't get, I don't, I don't get to tell a lot of stories here on the pod, but I'll just share this one because I think it's funny and it goes back to everything we've been discussing here about planning and preparation. So, um, Back when DEF CON was in person, I'm sure there are people listening that can remember the good old days when you could, could go to Las Vegas and see all your friends. Um, the last in-person one, 27. Yeah, so DEF CON 27. I was competing in the social engineering capture the flag challenge. A lot of fun. Um, I'm there in the booth on the phone in front of this crowd of people and I finally get somebody on the phone and, you know, I'm, I'm, trying i'm trying i'm trying you know they're just really not giving me anything and my entire angle was i'd gotten a hold of someone in hr because i have an hr background i'm like oh if i get my people on the phone i, I can speak their language so i got someone in like talent acquisition and i was posing as a job seeker hoping i could just you know pick their brain about the company and get all this information you know on my target organization so we're on the phone and they ask me the very obvious question. Well, Hey Tom, um, you know, what's your, what's your LinkedIn? So I panic <laughs> and I give them my real LinkedIn. <laughs> so not only is that a fail, like just from the point of this personal conversation, but I'm on speaker in this auditorium in front of all these people. As this oh, uh, this person no. just reads out my LinkedIn to all these attendees, <laughs> and it's oh. like, oh man, maybe if I'd given some more thought to how this could go wrong, I would have stood up a fake LinkedIn and given that one. The next. <laughs> so you know, not, it, not doing that again. <laughs> There's also the folks who you know love to, I guess, Instagram their crimes. We've had lots of those in, in the past, some of my past investigations where, you know, the target is being looked at and you see, you scroll through the, you know, the, the regular family photos and then you get halfway down, you see, uh, you know, the gun in one hand, the drugs in the other hand, or they're throwing up the gang signs and it makes it really easy at that point to kind of, you know, <laughs> makes it very clear what they're doing. You know, I mean, we could, we could, you could probably write a book on what's considered, you know, great or good OPSEC, but at the same time, it could be just as simple as, you know, hey, don't do anything that ties it back to yourself. What, what that means is going to be different for everybody, you know, whether it's just a sock puppet, just a VPN, you know, virtual machine versus, you know, I don't know, setting up your own infrastructure. So I, I don't, I don't think there's, you know, we, we could we could go on for days but at the same time i think we have enough to where hopefully the new people would be able to to get something they can latch on to yeah i think maybe my final thought on opsec is it's it's necessary and it's deceptively simple it seems pretty Absolutely. straightforward from the outside is hey just don't instagram crimes done easy um but the further you dig in and the the better you get at it the harder it gets for better or worse, I feel like. <laughs>
because the better you get, you know, you start to build up, you know, build, build that up and then you start going after bigger targets, bigger fish. And then <laughs> well, sin, I'm sad that we didn't talk about insurance or retirement, but I guess there can always be more podcasts. We did have a great discussion about OPSEC though. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to hang out with me, answer my questions and really give us some great insight especially for for beginners about the do's and don'ts of OPSEC. Thanks again for having me, Tom. No problem. I look forward to our next conversation. This has been another episode of Breadcrumbs. If you'd like to learn more, you can find us online at tracelabs.org, on Twitter, at tracelabs. But if you really want to find us, just follow the breadcrumbs 